Good morning and welcome to the Small Business Support Group. Wasn't that exciting? <laughs> Probably a little bit exciting, too exciting. We've got Maz in. Good morning, Maz. Good morning. And we, uh, and we have Grant in as well. Everyone that was like that. amazing. Did I, um, did I spell everybody's name right? <laughs> You've stepped it up a notch now, mate. I, I, I feel under pressure now to be <laughs> <laughs> got, we've got credits as well, which is the funniest thing. Andy is on his way in. He's got trouble uh, connecting, he says. So uh, Andy is on his way in. Um, Maz, what are you talking about this morning other than the titles? Um, well, wow, that was amazing. Really love that. Uh, I'm talking about the online sales, you know, the lifeline for the retailers. Okay, okay, great. I think we're all going to follow up on that. That's uh, what's going on as well. Grant, you're talking about that and cars, possibly? Yes, I've got a little, um, a little, uh, little tax uh, jiggery pokery. If you're in the UK, uh, to do with uh, with cars that I can I can talk to you about if you're a business owner. Brilliant, excellent. Okay, Maz, take it away. Let's get things rolling. Okay, so good afternoon to everybody, and it's Monday. So online shopping has been a boon for some retailers during the COVID nineteen crisis, and it has been a lifeline for others. But for nearly all companies, it's actually brought a slew of new challenges. You know, many retailers were already expanding their e-commerce offerings prior to the coronavirus pandemic. And the global crisis, though, has added a greater urgency to that effort. With closed stores and customers holed up at home, online shopping suddenly became the only sales option for many stores. I mean, the demand for online shopping just shot up. You know, while the pandemic continues to eat into retailers' profit, online shopping actually emerged as a lifeline. H&M recorded a 50% drop in revenue in their second quarter, but actually the online sales grew by 36%. And H&M have said it's closing more stores than it's opening this year. I mean, consumer behavior, guys, has just changed rapidly. And fashion retailers are looking to expand their online presence. I was reading the Wall Street Journal on the weekend. And according to that, Nike, sale, Nike saw its sales drop by 38% in the last quarter. But the sportswear giant got a boost from digital apps and online sales. And that was about, I think they said, 75%. So during lockdown, consumers took to e-commerce in a really big way. You know, quarantine has relaunched and accelerated online sales. Um, Inditex, um, which is Zara owner, which is the world's largest fashion retailer, saw online sales grow 95% year on year in April and announced that actually it's going to close up to 1,200 physical stores over the next two years. And Inditex has said, e-commerce is one of the best things that has ever happened to them because they've said it's awakened the big retailers from their lethargy and put customers at the center. And you know, it made me think, made me think and I personally feel that maybe it must become more ethical and less fast, concentrating package deliveries on a weekly basis and not penalizing returns. I think we are at a point where we need to find the right balance between optimism and retail. And we need to be looking at numbers from very different angles. 
I mean, when this many people lose their jobs, then does it mean going green goes down the drain? You know, online can never compensate for the loss in traditional retail, nor can it replace it. I mean, Zara was making 15% of its sales online. 95% increase there does not mean much. 12,000 stores don't close without a reason. And there's something called cabin fever. You know, you don't just sit in your home, work from there, shop from there, sleep there, eat there. We are social animals. You know, we need to interact. And finally, retail business actually accounts for 10 to 15% of workforce in developed markets. And this workforce is younger than average, is actually rather female and not very highly educated. So in the long run, increase in online means higher unemployment and less purchasing power and increase in unequal distribution of income. So I don't know, I'm really not sure. Is it a positive? I mean, I'm in two minds and it would be great to hear your thoughts, Grant and Matt. And what do you guys think? Well, we've just got uh, Andy's uh, has just come in as well. Morning, Andy. Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. I mean, we've all used obviously online ordering over the uh, the past few months. Uh, so it, it's I think it's been vital for the sanity of everybody as well because I think obviously uh, Amazon uh, have done very well. And uh, Grant, what do you think? Grant, you're on what? mute. You're on mute, Grant. Yeah, I wrote I wrote uh, an article on this yesterday. Um, I write a blog once a week, um, just sort of asking some of these questions. I mean, um, it was who was it that said it? Ah, um, oh, trying to uh, the uh, the that was it. The managing director or the CEO of PayPal said that COVID nineteen, the lockdown, has effectively accelerated us five five to ten years into the future, um, just because of the adaptation of online. Um, it, it's taken us to where we were going to go anyway. Um, and you know, there are positives to this, um, but also there's going to be a lot of readjustment now, you know, as humans, we are, um, we're, we're adaptable, aren't we? You know, and we're, Definitely. we will adapt quickly. The new normal, as everybody keeps talking about, um, will become the normal and we'll get used to it. So the, the question that, that I ask myself and, and I'm trying to imagine what the, uh, city centers and the retail parks, um, what what life's going to look like um, as this readjustment happens? Because I think it's pretty much um, set in stone now that we are going to be losing a lot of retail stores. Um, the adaptation of online is is going to be online ordering, e-commerce is is going to be massively accelerated. That's only going to increase. The result of that is going to be that our city centres, and also don't forget, we've also got the home working. So not only have we got the um, uh, the e-commerce, e um, we've also got people working from home. So it's not just retail, it's office space that's also not going to be used as much. And I think this is going to change completely the landscape of city centres. Um, you know, I work in Birmingham city centre, um, even though there are people back at work now, the shops are open, it's substantially quieter and it's not sustainable in, in the environment pre-COVID. In other words, with the same business rates, with the same rents, I can't see it being sustainable. Um, but, Maz, you, you, you and I uh, were having a quick chat before the show talking about people now 
looking to spend their money more on experiences. And yeah. you mentioned then about the fact, you know, getting cabin fever. We were already talking about this prior to lockdown about the way that mm -hmm. because let's, let, you know, we, we know this has been coming. The, the transition to e-commerce mm -hmm. and home working, we were on our way. All that's happened is that we've had a huge acceleration towards it because we've been forced into it. So therefore, we're now we've jumped into the future and all of a sudden we're having to adapt to this this new scenario that, by the way, guys, it was going to happen anyway. It was going to happen anyway. But experience is what we were talking about, Maz. You, people now look for experience and retailers were already experimenting with this, whereby, you know, most of the purchasing is made online. Mm -hmm. However, when you go to a shop, when you go to a retail, you go for the experience that you get. And that's where a lot of businesses have already been starting to experiment with this, where, you know, you don't just go and try on clothes and stand in a queue and walk out because, you know, you can do that online. You actually go there. You may get, you know, a, a shopping assistant, one of these people that, you know, gives you advice. You get, uh, you know, you might get tea and coffee, you know, or a glass of champagne. Uh, you know, you might go in in groups and try on different outfits. There's all sorts of different experiences that you can gain in 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 real life that you can't gain through e-commerce. And and so what is now going to be interesting to see how that retail space that's going to be left empty as shops like H and M close loads of stores mm. and, and subsid subsidise their income through online. Um, how is the landscape going to change? And it's fascinating to, to see what is going to happen. You know, we saw a huge uh, increase over the last 10 years in restaurants. Um, you know, you imagine 10, 15 years ago, um, going out for a meal used to be, you know, a big deal. It used to be, I remember when I was a kid. So we, get, we go about 30 years, you know, 30, 30, 35 years. There were kids in my uh, school, I remember having conversations, who, who, would never have dreamed of going eating out that was a, a you know something that posh people did <laughs> but now we live in a landscape where people do it on a regular basis there are people that don't cook at home and eat out the whole time um is that something that we're going to keep in this new environment you know is that experience that we're going to be looking to replace because retail isn't going to be as um you know as, as prevalent will it be replaced with eating out more Will it be replaced with um, other experiential, um, you know, uh, things that we can do? Um, it's. I think it's. It's fascinating to think what you know we're now moving towards. Well, as you uh, as you're talking about restaurants, Deliveroo, the Deliveroo boss, uh, I was Deliveroo uh, as, as as well as Uber Eats has done very well over the the COVID lockdown period, and has said that the restaurants are really hurting now. Um, because obviously they've been shut down. Some of the good ones of uh, the clever ones have stayed open and used Deliveroo and uh, uh, and Uber Eats to, to get their food out there. But I think because of what's going to happen when they open on the fourth, uh, and also limiting the number of people going in, it's just not going to work for some of these restaurants. It's just not going to work. Um, and it, it's it, it goes back. I think you know we've all mentioned that it goes back from the, you know the restaurant. Then obviously the landlord's got to take a little bit of responsibility and help out here. There's got to be, uh, you know, the business rates has got to be looked at all along, even to electricity, gas, water, because everything is going to change now. The, the business models that we entered uh, or we had as we entered COVID has got to be scrapped and started again because we could be 
unless that you know we, we find something to cure it uh we're gonna this could be with us for 12 months the way we have to deal with it which is fine you know people go out there wash their hands socially distance you know we'll, we'll work around it as we say we're humans we adapt so we can work around that but the business model as it is is going to fall over for a lot of businesses it's just not going to work andy what are you so just about to take a, a sip of tea or coffee there andy so what i mean on a on a on a business level for restaurants and and pubs with you know myself grant uh, and and yourself uh, we've all been in uh, in the in the license trade uh, yeah. what's your thoughts on that how are things going to happen for restaurants it's as as grant has said you know everything's been accelerated now but unfortunately i get onto my favorite subject politicians how do you do that how do you do that <laughs> politicians national and local have been destroying business and entrepreneurship for decades. I could take you many cities that used to be hives of activity in industry, commerce, enterprise and entrepreneurship have been destroyed. And the first thing that they've done wrong is they've pursued, like sheep, these car parking charges, right? Now, in Australia, they, they by law, the council has to give two hours free parking right, in all areas of the country and cities and towns except in certain what they call central business districts, right, which is at the heart of a city, yep, um, where they don't have to give two hours free. But you take a, a, an equivalent of Solihull where most of us live, uh, 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 the, sorry, three of the four of us live, is that in Australia would have to give, by law, two hours free parking, right? Now, unfortunately, the whole setup of the way the the, the um, local government is run, it needs to bring in money from those parking charges. So the whole business model of running the country is completely wrong and flawed, right? This happened before COVID, um, where places like Stoke-on-Trent were a ghost town, empty shops. Our local high street, Knoll High Street, has got empty shops. Uh, you go to Stratford-upon-Avon, <coughs> excuse me, which has... 5 million visitors a year in normal times, and, and that's got empty shops. So there was an oversupply anyway, right? But what we've got to do is make these towns, and some of them have adapted, to become more entertainment centres, like you talked about, experiences. So people go out, they do some retail shopping, they watch entertainment, you know, live music, they watch the buskers, there's a market there, um, and then there's food and drink there. Now, obviously, the, the, there is the issue about the business model about, you know, social distancing for these restaurants. But like in Solihull, we've got this open um, area in Solihull Town Centre in the in the square, in Mel Square, that is actually food and drink, and that's outside. Or, because of the inclement weather, you put a cover on it, right, of some description, but you don't make it totally enclosed, right? So it's just like a big canopy or something like that that you could put on it. So that's what the rethinking is about. Unfortunately, politicians aren't really entrepreneurs and they're not really forward-thinking people. Um, there are a few who become councillors and, and MPs who are, have been in business, but the general, generally they are not. And they certainly don't like to take risks. However, whether they like it or not, if it is what any of them are watching, they've got to and they're going to have to, right? So the first thing they've got to do is find a new way of restructuring their business model. I could easily come up with a, a, a quite a few ideas for them and suggestions how they could do it, but we've got to get rid of parking charges, right? 
and that is the, that is the main thing people are going to be reluctant to use public transport so the footfall into a town and city centers are going to be way down um but again you know if people just everybody just wore masks and that was enforced on public transport it would make life a lot easier um so these centers are going to be entertainment centers right and they're going to have perhaps less units or smaller units uh to cater for small uh, small amounts of people or should we say a unit that can have have people in for eating and drinking safely socially distancing or something like that so that's what's going to happen and until the government local and national get their brains in gear and be ahead of the curve instead of always behind as we saw in this pandemic you know they're months behind other countries you know we have got to get our acts together but unfortunately again back to the whole structure of the system it's flawed because we, we allow politicians who've never run anything to become prime minister. A journalist, Boris Johnson, is prime minister. How the hell has that happened? Just always, he always gets around to that. I don't know how he does that. There, there, there is the, 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 the boss of Deliveroo have put an, a, an open letter, which they're going to send to the government this week, regarding yeah. slashing VAT on restaurant food to help uh, the uh, the crisis as we're going through, and also uh, maintaining the job retention scheme for restaurants as well. Um, so, it is, yeah, reconstruction is going to have to happen, isn't it? It's just the way it's the way it's going to be. Um, Darren's just sent a, a quick one in. Home working is a huge challenge for big corporates, and the hybrid model is even harder. Uh, massive firewalls, secure access, huge internet pipes into data centers, technical and physical challenges, as well as the soft people management side. Um, which obviously is the home working side of things. Um, so it, everything is going to be looked at, don't you think, Grant? Everything's going to be looked at. Yeah, and and you know the, there needs to be a certain amount of readjustment, I'm sure, because like we say, because the the you know the consumers have been shown this new way of doing things, they're going to be making different decisions, and then you combine that with the ongoing, you know, threat of of the virus. Um, We've got we've got some readjustment and the bit that kind of breaks my heart, um, but, you know, is is likely to happen is we're, we're going to lose a lot of businesses, you know, because we're not going to need as many retail shops. You know, they can't they because because the people are spending online, we're not going to need as many restaurants and pubs. And that old saying survival of the fittest is going to happen. And yeah. I think, you know, the economy is going to shrink as a result. Um, but it will come back in different areas and, and, you know, you can't stop progress. It's almost, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the world that we used to live in, where everybody used to go out to the shops, you know, at the weekend and do their shopping and have a coffee and, you know, it's not going to be like that anymore, uh, in the same way. It's just not because more yeah. people are, have seen that they can shop online, they can save money, they can do all their comparisons I mean, retail was already struggling. Let's not, you know, let's not, let's not take this away. We were already heading this way. Um, and it's going to be devastating to the economy. I've been compressed into a few short months. Um, but this was on the cards already, guys. Um, and what we, what we should be doing, in my view, is adapting as quickly as possible. So, and not trying to save what was already going. So in other words, you know, we were already going to be losing these shops at some point. We were already going to be seeing less potential restaurants and we will be seeing more experiential 
um, you know, environments. And and we should, in my view, we should be putting everything into that into that you know scenario. Um, what Andy talked about mentioned there, you know, you go if you go into Solihull, you know, you can have an experience the way it's laid out because you know at the moment with with the um, with the street food thing that they've got going on, um, and it's all kind of in, enclosed in a in an outdoor area if you like, so you can do your shopping, you can have some food. There's buskers there. It's an experience going out to the shop. You're not going to get that by sitting online, clicking away. And some people want that, but nowhere near as many as the, as they used to. So that, that we are we are going to see our city. This is what I'm, this is what I'm sort of looking at. What is going to happen to our city centres? Because yeah. unless you know the councils, the, the the politicians address this right now and say we've we've got to we've got to adapt. We can't just try and get try and get it back to what it used to be because it's never going back. It's never going back to that. Because I mean, obviously, a few years back we had that major change round where the the, the out of town shopping centres uh, pops popping up and um, and getting bigger. And they said that was the death of the high street. Um, and it was it was literally, you know. The, the, the shops in the high street that we went through that didn't we because there was there were so many that disappeared then they came back and then we're doing this again so i think it's always i know it's difficult and it's really hard but it, it is a sort of a reset button as well isn't it for to, to well, make that, sure that, that out of town shops it was a flawed policy as well set in by the politicians uh, that, that actually contributed to the death of the high street well it is uh, that's what i was saying yeah yeah back to the part that's the point Councils in, impose high charges, parking charges. You look at Birmingham, they're high charges in Birmingham, for instance. Um, then they allowed out-of-town retail parks with free parking. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. And this is the problem, what happens when you've got people, inexperienced people, put into positions of power, local and national. It happens. But just on the point of how you do rebuild an economy, I've actually just written, I'm about to write to the local representatives, the West Midlands Mayor, my MP, and to uh, Sajid Javid, who's written a paper about rebuilding the economy. Unfortunately, like always, the Conservatives reverted to type. And they're going back to the age-old policies, let's cut taxes. Yes, that's one aspect, and it's, it'll be useful. But that if there's no businesses paying taxes or employees paying taxes, there's no point in cutting taxes. If there's no businesses making any profit, they're not going to get any taxes. So there's no point in cutting them. Again, wrong policy. What they should be doing, which I've written to them, is bad decisions they've made in the past. For instance, you see, the Conservative policy, and by the way, Labour are not much better, so it's not about Conservatives or Labour or anything like that. All of them are, are quite useless in their long-term thinking, right? Conservative policy is free enterprise, free market, and privatisation, okay? The problem is with that is it's all that's allowed to happen is for our great brand, brands and businesses to be bought by foreign entities, yeah, and either closed or moved abroad, right? What we should be doing, we're spending 14 billion a month on COVID issues with furlough and all that, and we're getting nothing for it. Let's put that 14 billion into rebuilding businesses that make things, right? You cannot close down a, a factory, build another shopping center, build apartments, if you've got no commerce or enterprise or industry, paying, making things and making money. And also, we must stop this over-reliance on China of importing everything. We're importing too much. Let's start making more of our own products again, right? And the government should set aside $100 billion for a start, right, and put it into that fund. 
that starts enterprise. Not, not with strings attached, and it actually is owned by the people or the government, should we say. Not the government, it's a taxpayer who owns it. So therefore, they can't be sold to another foreign company or entity and taken off and all of the, the intellectual property and the brand taken away. You look at Thomas Cook. Thomas Cook was closed before COVID, right? It's a 180-year-old company, and the government would sign a measly £100 million guarantee. Not cash guarantee so they let it go bust the government then spent 500 million pounds in cash rescuing all the people who are stranded abroad and it cost the government 500 million and then all the payouts for the redundancies and everything else that the government the company couldn't pay and they put 25,000 people on the scrap heap yeah and that one job loss affects on average four in total so that's 100,000 people affected by Thomas Cook. And all they had to do was sign a measly 100 million guarantee. In contrast, Germany saved the Thomas Cook subsidiary in Germany called Condor, an airline, and pumped in approximately 300 million cash to save it. A few months later, they sold that airline, Condor, to a lot, the Polish state-owned airline. For about the same amount of money, they may even make a profit. And that is clever thinking, not stupid short-termism. Oh, we've got to let the market take it. You cannot let the market take the UK because the UK is going to be an independent nation on December 31st. We've got to be self-sufficient, right? And if we're not self-sufficient, they've done it with the motor industry. Every major motor manufacturer in the UK is foreign-owned. So if the market isn't right here, they're going to move it to another factory elsewhere. Sunderland, just, Nissan Sunderland have just, just laid off 450 jobs. Nissan have got factories all over the world. Yeah, same as Honda in Swindon is leaving. Why are they leaving? Because they don't need a factory in the UK. Because it was originally put there to service the EU. Now that the UK is out of the EU, again, madness thinking, no joined up thinking. All the Boris's policy on, on Brexit is, let's get Brexit done. Okay, where's the plan? There's nothing. There's no other plan. What we should be able to put all this money in, rebuild our industries. Heavy industry, food industry, agriculture, power. The country that built, invented the tank doesn't make a tank anymore. Now, some people say, oh, we don't need tanks. Well, whatever that is, it's industry. It's industry. The country that invented the nuclear power station has got China and France building its nuclear power station. How has this happened? How on earth has this happened in the UK? I'll tell you how it's happened. Mediocre politicians and not any nobody with any qualification uh, running the country who's qualified to, with experience to run the country. We've, we've let our great brands and industries be sold off to it all over the world, right? You know, Mini is owned by... Um, BMW. How did this happen? I'll tell you how it happened. No joined up thinking, no long term view and bankers who go for short term greedy profits and a government that's weak and unable to start them. And that's your problem. We've got an opportunity now to rebuild our country, our economy, our nation and be great Britain. Made in Britain. Let's really make it made in Britain. Not made in Britain, but foreign owned. <laughs> Let's make it in Britain, right? Let's take the Honda plant that is going to be empty soon 
and let's let's pump in the money and let's build another car there. The factory set up. It's it's da, one of the. Da, in Castle Bromwich, we used to make three hundred and twenty. Oh, still going. We don't make a single aircraft <laughs> in the UK now. We make some parts for aircraft and engines, but we don't make a single aircraft in the in the UK anymore. Why? I'll tell you why. Oh, I know we're gonna come. Who have got no nose. No, no experience of business building a country. We've got to invest in our agri. We've got to produce more food, right? We're bringing in too much food, and it's all getting more expensive. Okay, let's just pause it there, Andy, for a second, uh, and and we'll end this fine. It's, we understand what you're saying, and and, and uh, people have been commenting and saying that they agree with you. Uh, we'll we'll part that that subject yes. there for a second. Is it just? I want to ask you a question. Uh, there's something that there was a, on the news about two hours ago about Lookers, uh, the Lookers car group. Have you yeah. have you read it or heard about anything about that this morning? Uh, well, I, I haven't heard the news this morning. But I, is that about I, the, the, the 19 million pound hole they've got in their finances? Do you know anything yeah. about that? Have you heard no, about that? I heard about no. they're in trouble anyway. Yeah, they, they are well, in trouble because they've they've uh, uh, they're now being investigated because they've uh, over the past few years auditors of uh, Grant Thornton. Um, yeah. have been investigating the firm and they found a 19 million pound hole in their profits so they were obviously showing higher profits than them before i just wondered if you'd heard anything about it. that's why i wanted to bring that up um had a lot of money to me 19 million doesn't add a lot of money no not, not really not not for that size group well, is it? Over, it's over, over a billion i think anyway yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Grant, just briefly, because we're, we're already hit our half of our uh, mark, you want to just uh, talk about your car and a little bit of a tax dodge. That's, uh, yes. You might be, uh, so it's my investing. end of year just coming up. And um, one of the things that I've just been working on this morning is um, I've owned electric cars for, uh, well, I say a, a fully electric car for some time now. Um, and the UK government at the moment have uh, got a a ruling on company car tax that if you own a company car um, that is, or the company owns a company car and you use it, that is fully electric, uh, there's no car tax, no personal car tax on it. Uh, now, I've obviously been in business for 20 years plus, um, and I've never had a company car because it's always been, uh, as a as the owner of the business, a bit of a waste of time because you get charged, you get, you know, you get, um, you get the company car tax, personal company tar car tax, and it kind of, you know, takes any any benefit away. But now that the uh, the government are actually saying if you buy an electric car, um, a fully electric car um, through the company, there's no personal liability on your company car tax. It makes it makes sense. Um, so with that in in mind, um, I'm actually buying. Uh, the company car from myself, effectively, the business is buying it from myself, um, which means that the payments that I now pay or will be paying for that car, instead of coming directly out of my wages, which I paid tax on, will go out of the business, which will reduce the profits of the business, which will save me corporation tax. Um, we still, I still get to use the car in the same way. Um, and it's a win-win all round. So this is one thing I think, Andy, where the government have got it right, because I know that you've got lots of opinions about diesel and and all that kind of stuff but i'm a huge advocate for electric cars um i was an early adopter i've had my car since 2016 fully electric um i've got another hybrid which is an, a, you know it will run fully on electric it's a plug-in hybrid um 
And I, I just think they're the future. They're absolutely awesome. Um, and now that the range issue is largely no longer an issue, it used to be that people complained about electric cars not having enough electric range. Pretty much all the electric cars you buy now have got more range than you'll ever need. They're just better in every way, electric cars. Don't get me wrong, I'm a petrol head. I've had sports cars all my life and I love them. But electric cars are just better. And the government doing this whole scenario whereby you can now do it through the company and not pay taxes, brilliant. Um, absolutely brilliant. Um, so if you've got a, a, a company, guys, uh, and you want to get a car that is um, uh, not going to cost you anything and you can pay for it through the company, meaning that you no longer need to, well, you can take it off your profits, I'd look into fully electric cars and there's loads of choice out there now loads of choice yeah, and it's good. hardly cost me anything because i already own the car it's not worth a fat lot <laughs> so it's, it's <laughs> no that's uh that's excellent well, well that's that's sort of i think we need to do a, sh uh, a show on electric cars generally uh grant and so oh, we'll do that to. in the future oh, i'd love um, to we definitely we'll went in a porsche taycan on saturday that was a fully yeah. electric porsche absolute beast of a car was it Could great I just come on, I know that point about the electric cars. Yeah, low carbon and electric is great, but you don't destroy an industry, right, in pursuit of something that hasn't been adopted yet, right, 100%. And that's what the government has done with its with its car policy. And it's a, it, there's 3 million jobs at stake. We cannot afford to lose our motor industry. And unfortunately, unlike other countries, our motor industry, as I've just said, is foreign-owned. So therefore, those companies who own that, that that facility in the UK, manufacturing facility, can move it elsewhere. And they will. Honda are already doing that. So, um, yes, all for that. The one thing the government haven't done right about that policy grant uh, is what they, they threatened to, is they were going to allow people a um, an allowance to swap their diesel and petrol car for an electric cars. They've been talking about it for years, but again, as usual, they've procrastinated and sat on the fence and haven't implemented it, right? Had they have implemented it, you would see a massive, massive uptake of electric, more so than at the moment, which is very very small in percentage of the, of the cars. So that's what they haven't done, and they've been talking about it, an allowance, which is an exchange allowance. So on top of the value of the car they part exchange, you get in the government putting in, I don't know, 5,000, pounds In fact, Grant, I think you got something that they did have it for a while and then they stopped it no, they're still doing the grant. i think it's um you know i might need correcting on this i think it's three between five and three and a half thousand on every electric car you get you get yeah. a grant. is that still available yeah. now yeah i think it might be a bit less i think i got five thousand off mine um you had a three and a half now you had a fantastic deal on your deal but i think they've, they've either stopped it they or haven't stopped it They've made it less. Anyway, but look, that's what they do. It is simple. People go with, with – and the problem is with electric cars is that to buy them, they're so much more expensive than an equivalent petrol or diesel. That's the problem. So people then are thinking, okay, it's about money. So if the government equalised the differential, the price differential, quite easily to do, with that allowance, you get a much more take-up. And, again, simple joined-up thinking – that the government and government and policies are not very good at. I'm sorry to say, um, but I'm all for electric. I do. I I recycle. I do all my bit. But I'm not. Well gonna, I'm not going to destroy an economy and three million jobs for it, like some people would have you do. But you say you say you say that, Andy. Aren't the manufacturers all moving out? Aren't they making electric cars? Jaguar's complete production line has gone electric. 
Yeah. Jaguar's complete production line is turned to turn to electric. Well, they're not complete. They have got a, an electric production line. But Probably. they are. But look, no, they're getting rid of all of them. Jaguar are. They're getting rid of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in due course, they are. You can still buy diesel and petrol Jags at the moment. Um, they're all all got a BMW, got a whole town in Germany that's dedicated to their electric program. But again, the problem is it's supply and demand. If people don't want the electric cars, the manufacturers aren't going to make them. And that's the issue. And the problem is, is the government aren't addressing that issue by saying, is an extra allowance. Ever so simple. People do like that. I would. I would do it. That's true. That, 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 I agree with that one. I, I agree and with that. I don't think it's destroying an industry, though. Car now. You look at some electric cars. Some electric cars are, 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 are at least 5000 to £10,000 more than the equivalent petrol or, or, or diesel. Petrol's cheaper than diesel anyway. Yeah. Um, no. So it's just, it's just that. That's what they need to do. And then they also need to do – I'll tell you a story. In December last year, just quickly, quick, about electric, with my clients, they got a Tesla. Uh, we went up, they picked me up, we went up to Leeds for the Christmas party, right, uh, for the clients. And on the way up there, the M M1, we were going up, we had to come off the motorway, turn around, come back down the southbound carriageway to get to a service station on the motorway that had Tesla points. We got there, luckily there was two spare, there was, there was about 20 points, but only two spare. So we got on there and we sat there for 45 minutes, had a coffee, uh, went to get a coffee, come back and charge it up. Um, carried on, had to go down southbound again, go around and back on ourselves and up the boat. That This is the M1. So we've had to go northbound. We have to have to go turn around and come back on ourselves. The next day, we're coming southbound anyway, so we have to do it again. Again, this time, we had there was one charging point free. There's not enough charging points. We're talking the M1 here, and there's not enough charging points. This is not rocket science, guys. Okay. We got service stations every 30 miles or, or less. Bang, government, bang, put them in. No, because the government's thinking we'll let the private sector do it. The private sector is not going to do it if there's not enough profit in it. And at the moment, there's not enough profit. Tesla do it because it helps them sell cars. That's why they've done it. And this is the problem. There's not enough charging points. I can tell you that now for a fact. There's asking okay. this, this, this argument could go on because I think Grant wants to jump in there. Do you want to yeah. say anything briefly, Grant, or do you want to? I think, I think let's have a show on this because uh, this is one argument I can have with Andy, and I know a lot about it. Yeah, uh, and, and also <laughs> I'll just add arguing of charging points. Test for Tesla, yeah. But well, nobody else. Right. Stop no, there, then. One then. No, there, there aren't. There aren't. But it's a it's a bigger argument than that. But yeah, I, I agree. Northbound M1 from Birmingham to Leeds is not should a we, Should we do this another day? Because this yeah. is we're, we're I've running for go. forty minutes now. Come oh, on, I've got people! <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start muting everybody. Um, right, so. <laughs> uh, sorry, Maz, that you didn't come in on that uh, that uh, car petrol head type of uh, conversation. Now, I do apologise about that. Uh, we've we've got. I just want to briefly talk about this. Grant, please explain this photograph really quickly. Why? Uh, why were you in a pub for a start? My local vaults, uh, the, the, the my my favourite pub, uh, just up the road, uh, was open doing takeaway beer, and they basically marked out the car park, so you could. That's what those red and white stripes oh, yeah. are. So right. you could uh, you could have a beer in a plastic pint in the car park. That just sounds like it's stretching. Welcome to my invite. You know, I, I, I only went to Tesco's. I looked over and I'm like, oh my God, the vaults is open. 
you couldn't see me for dust. So <laughs> and, and so while you were at the pub, Maz was in a field talking to some cows for some reason. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what was going on there. <laughs> That's her new friends. Right, that is it for today. Uh, we've got some credits coming up. Uh, just to let you know, we've already infringed Facebook rules and they've already shouted at me 17 times for using that music at the start of the show. So I'm going to have to go over and redub the music because it was uh, the propeller heads. Um, we're going to play it again at the end. So I'm going to get another 17 emails from Warner Brothers. Right then, Maz, thank you very much. Grant, thank you. And Andy, okay. thank you very much. We will Good see you tomorrow good at week. midday. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.